listening to Off the Cuff. Now, here's your host, Adam Banks. Yeah, you to let it go. Walk into the show. Garking at the tricks of your sleeve. Too good to be true. Full I'm in a room. Full of entertainers and thieves. You to let it go. A final four has been set. Welcome to the road to the final four episode of the March Madness series here on Off the Cuff. I'm Adam Banks, joined by my professional sports panel. And when I say professional sports panel, the panel today is looking a little thin because in the studio, I just had, well, joining me via Zoom, I just had one person decide to show up and talk about the games with me, and that is Mr. Zach Hahn. Zach, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I would say it's neither professional nor a panel. (laughs) uh at this point but hey we're holding it down they still got three games left to play we got this well i was sitting here thinking i think i have done a march madness episode with at least with everybody on the panel i've done an episode with just me and them i've done one with just me and jordan i've done one with just me and chad have i ever done one with just you and i no, I think I've been the one that's probably bailed uh, in the past. So, hey, everybody, every dog gets its day, and this is the day that it's just going to be you and I, I guess. Absolutely. Well, four teams are all that is left, and that's what we are here to talk about. But we're here to talk about how they got there. So uh, if anybody filled out the off-the-cuff bracket challenge, then uh, it's been updated because obviously it changes after every single round. So, Zach, how is your bracket looking on the Off the Cuff Bracket Challenge? Well, I changed the name of it to Trashed, and uh, that ought to tell you everything you ought to know. I think maybe I'll get the champion right, but uh, for me, you know, I tried to work in some upsets throughout, and I just picked all the wrong ones. So, um, uh, it's terrible. HSC1 is the current leaderboard number one. HSC1. I have no idea who that is. And the thing is, is I don't know anybody hardly who joined this bracket. So it's going to be uh, something just to find out who these people are when the winner is revealed. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats to them so far. Uh, We'll see. Uh, I've looked at the standings today. Looks like uh, it's going to come down to the final few games. A lot of people have Gonzaga, but... uh, I think uh, then the leader have have Baylor uh, as there's there's somebody in there in the top couple that has Baylor. So uh, the final four is going to decide who gets that uh, coffee mug. Well, speaking of the mug, Zach, I got your mug finally in the mail. I know you've been waiting on it patiently for two years. So oh yeah, I've been stockpiling coffee. Like there's nothing but coffee beans in the kitchen right now. I'm ready for the mug. It's going to be a game changer. It's a it's a nice mug. I, I told you on the last episode that it's one of those big mugs. It's got the big handle. You know, because those small handles on coffee cups, they're irrelevant. I don't know who can fit those their tiny hands in those things. Uh, I don't know, but uh, that's good. It makes it sound like something maybe I can take around, show off to people, let them know, hey, uh, 2019, this was uh, the champion of the off-the-cuff bracket pool. So no matter how bad my bracket is this year, people will know that at least for one year, uh, I got it right and I got a heck of a coffee mug 
uh, as a prize. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I was also surprised to see so many people enter 45. And Zach, you was mentioning to me the other day, you said that I made it really tough on everybody because I only allowed one bracket per uh, participant in the tournament. And I started thinking about that. And gosh, had I let people put more than one, we would have tons of people 80-something entries, but the reason that I decided to just have just one bracket per participant is I am all about going all in on one bracket. I think if we're talking about just the true magic of March Madness, and if you want to get the true, authentic feel of getting excited and really rooting on for a team, if you're all in on one bracket, that means you're all in on every pick that you made. So you can't just say, oh, I've got Baylor in this bracket, but I've got Gonzaga in this one. No, the one bracket, I think you truly are going to get the true March Madness feeling with just one bracket. Yeah, I, mean, I can't I can't argue with you on that point. I mean, it's... Uh definitely ties you to it if it works out you get really excited about it it's a lot of uh you know it's integrity i'll give you that um but i don't know i mean for me i just i'm a system guy you know i'm always talking about my my spreadsheets and my systems when it comes to college basketball and you know every game is a is a chance that team a could win or a chance that team b can win so when you play that out over 67 games or whatever there's a lot of uh different you know, the possibilities are endless. So I don't know. I just like have been able to put in a few more. Maybe I would have had one with the right upsets on it. Who knows? But uh, that's probably just loser's regret, you know? Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the ratings so far of this year's tournament. The ratings are officially in from uh, this weekend's NCAA men's basketball tournament games, and they are through the roof. According to a release, Zach, from CBS and Turner Sports, the Sweet 16 had its best viewership in nearly 30 years. And you and I were sitting around talking about the interest of March Madness just not being there for a lot of people this year because that's just how it feels. But the ratings are saying otherwise. What do you think the cause of that is? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, people... Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, you, you missed it last year. You, you're really excited to, to get it uh, to watch it this year. That's surprising to me that the ratings are that high because uh, you've seen a growth in it. Like what we uh, we watched UCLA Michigan just last night and we were streaming it. So you know that that probably didn't count towards the ratings. So the fact that you've got that many people that are that are watching it where it can be counted, um, that's that's amazing. Um, Maybe it is also some other programs that haven't been there in a while. Uh, their fan bases are excited or energized to be uh, farther along in March than they normally would be. Um, but mostly I would just say it's uh, people are, after you took it away from them for a year, people uh, didn't take it for granted anymore. Uh, and they they really wanted to watch March. At least that's, that's where I was coming from this year. Uh, I was excited to get to watch something that kind of got stolen away from us last year, it felt like. It says here, overall, the viewership across CBS and TBS for the regional semifinals was also up 12% from 2019, the last year the tournament was held. The fact that the Sweet 16 was held on Saturday and Sunday instead of its customary Thursday and Friday scheduling is what they say is 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 what they're saying likely influenced these numbers. Uh, and also, there were no overlapping of games either. So I think that that really could have affected... 
affected the ratings. But the ratings are through the roof for this year's March Madness. And uh, I can't believe the fact that when I read that, that that was accurate. But it is. Uh, I, but you make a good point. We had something stolen away from us. I think people realized how much they missed it. And that's why they wanted to tune in and watch it this year. Well, I didn't even think about the days being different. I mean, hearing those ratings, do you think that the uh, the new format as far as starting uh, the games uh, instead of on that Thursday, maybe Friday, or maybe even starting on a Saturday uh, going forward and then doing instead of Thursday, Friday, you know, you got Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, do you think that's here to stay? Yes. I do think it's here to stay now because when you have numbers like that, you just can't ignore it. An executive at CBS or Turner Broadcasting or wherever they they are, they're going to look at these ratings and they're going to say, well, we let's just replicate what we did last year. Uh, if it's the highest ever, why not? I mean, we are creatures of habit here in this world, and we get upset when anything changes, even a day that a tournament has been played on for years and years and years. So I heard so many people get so bent out of shape because the days of the tournament were different this year. It's really no big deal. I actually kind of, and this might be a uh, not a very popular statement, but I actually kind of enjoyed the days that were this year uh, versus the other ones in the past. Yeah, I can see that. Um, for me personally, it didn't work out because of the because my personal schedule. But uh, you know, I think when you say that's not a popular opinion, you got to think we're kind of in a in a, a a bubble here in Lexington. You know, everything's through the lens of BBN. Mm-hmm. If you're a, a fan of uh, say just a Colorado or a Texas or you know where college basketball isn't isn't life or death like it is here. Um, you know, you're playing, you're a three seed, you're playing a 14. It's on a Thursday. You got to work. Maybe you don't watch that game, but if you take that game and you put it on a Saturday, now that first round is getting viewership that it wouldn't have gotten otherwise where, you know, places where maybe the fan base is a little bit more casual. So uh, I think there's a lot of aspects that tie into it now that we start kind of talking it out here. Um, But I liked it as well. I I don't think that's an unpopular opinion at all. Uh, That's so interesting you say that uh, college basketball being life or death here. When you turn on ESPN2 or ESPN uh, News or wherever uh, they they play sports media, they're not talking about March Madness, and it's March Madness. They're not talking about college ball during March Madness. They're talking about the NFL free agency. They're talking about uh, LeBron James and the NBA. And I I started to think – are we living here in Kentucky in a delusional world that we think that college basketball matters that much? Because when you look at sports on a national level, college basketball is just in the backseat for every for everybody except here, it seems. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think we, we probably are looking at things through uh, some tinted glasses, at least when it comes to college basketball. I think nationally, college basketball really doesn't even get any – mention um until after the super bowl um unless there's you know like uh when zion was at duke when there's when there's these uh personalities and these players that they can kind of promote as the next big thing they might talk about them throughout the season but the the competition the yearly uh chase for the championship aspect of it yeah i mean the national media doesn't really talk about it till after the super bowl but you know, we're also living in a new world where people can focus on the sports that they want to. They, there's so many media is so um, 
you know, it's not centralized anymore. You don't have to watch Sports Center. If you want to read about college basketball in November because you like it, you can. So um, I think it's a little bit of a little bit of both. But absolutely, it's more popular here than it is nationally. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get right down to business and pull out our brackets and review the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. We'll be right back after these words. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Zach Hahn joining me via Zoom. We are talking about the road to the Final Four. We have four teams remaining, but before the four teams could get there, there was a lot of things that happened. Uh, The Sweet 16 wrapped up officially on Sunday with a slate of games that were great for number one seeds, but not quite so for the number two seeds. Uh, Let's talk about Gonzaga versus Creighton first. And it was the first game of the day. Gonzaga just moved one step closer to becoming the first undefeated men's national uh, championship team since 1976, held by Indiana. And uh, they knocked out Creighton. And then after that, uh, they went on and played USC and, of course, defeated that, uh, that team. Gonzaga on a row. It's looking like their pursuit to perfection is becoming more of a reality every day, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you had any doubts about the Zags coming into this, um, this is clearly the best team that they've ever had as a program. And that's no disrespect to uh, what Mark Fuse built there over the years. Uh, but also looking like potentially one of the great teams of all time in college basketball, um, especially if they can finish this off. If you had to make an all-time Sweet 16, uh, this Gonzaga team would probably already be in there. Uh, just so deep. Uh, they have the type of um, you know fundamentally sound upperclassmen that uh, Gonzaga normally has uh, with the addition of uh, top recruits like Jalen Suggs, uh, transfers like Nembhard. Uh, and then they really just play team basketball. It's uh, different different guys taking stepping up on on different possessions and at different times, and they can just beat you so many ways. Um, nobody's really been able to challenge them yet. I was kind of hoping that Michigan would uh, would be their matchup in the in the semifinal because I think when Michigan good Michigan shows up, they could have gave them a game. Uh, but right now, I mean, it kind of just looks like maybe Baylor is the only team left that could could derail Gonzaga. I know. Baylor's so good, too. But, yeah, Gonzaga, uh, they made it into the Final Four. It seemed flawlessly. I thought that USC would give them a little bit of of a game more than what they did because uh, when they played Oregon in the Sweet 16, talking about USC, uh, they had some breakout players. Isaiah White, who usually just scores seven points a game, he just popped off and scored 25. And then uh, most of their players are just really good three-point shooters. And they just it still wasn't enough to get by Gonzaga. But Let's talk about that Michigan team that you that you were mentioning. Uh, Michigan, they defeated Florida State in the Sweet 16, and uh, they seemed to be on a roll. It seemed like that Michigan was going to make it to the Final Four as well, but then they had to play UCLA. Zach, you and I watched that game together. UCLA, I'm talking a team that should not be there, a a first four team, defeats uh, Michigan. What a game that was. Absolutely. Uh, UCLA played great team defense all the way around uh, Michigan. Of course, Johnny Juzang had had an incredible game, Uh, did 
actually scored more than the rest of his teammates combined, just carried them uh, offensively, and they, they grinded out a, a tough win. Um, Michigan maybe uh, a little inflexible. Uh, watching that, it seemed like they were just dead set on feeding it down into the post every time uh, and double team or not. Like, we're just going to try to take it to the basket. And it didn't work out for them. Um, so – UCLA hats off to them. Uh, unlikely, like you said, unlikely team in the Final Four. Do you see them having any chance against Gonzaga? You know, I, I was thinking about that earlier today. Do I see them having any chance? I don't know. The way Cronin's got them playing, and I used to not be a fan of Mick Cronin, but his coaching performance in this tournament has just been outstanding. A-plus for the guy. You know, I know he almost blew it with uh, not f- fouling uh, against, um, was it Alabama? He almost blew it. Uh, yeah. But that was the only mark that I would give him for it. Uh, but just UCLA's just been playing outstanding. When they defeated Alabama, I mean, that's nobody to scoff at. Alabama, some had Alabama winning it all. One of the greatest Alabama teams they've ever assembled in, in the last 25 years. So when they knocked off Alabama and then they go off and knock off Michigan, you know, it wouldn't be so far-fetched to think that they could knock off Gonzaga. Gun to my head, do I think UCLA will beat Gonzaga? No. But I do think that UCLA will put up a better fight than what you may think. Yeah, absolutely. It could be. It'll be exciting to watch. It's like I thought the uh, Gonzaga-USC matchup was kind of like the West Coast Championship, but now they got to get through UCLA too. So it's like they played uh, maybe the best team uh in the Pac-12, uh, night in, night out, USC, and now they have to play like the, the big traditional program out there. So a uh, pretty cool storyline there. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some more teams that were playing in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. You had Baylor and Nova. Uh, Baylor got through Nova uh, pretty easily, uh, which in return had them playing Arkansas because Arkansas knocked off Oral Roberts barely. I think that was just a two-point win. And then you had a Baylor-Arkansas matchup in the Elite Eight. What would you think of that game? Um, Baylor, like I said, you know, when, you, when you're when you looking, they're, they're pretty much the clear number two right now. They're another deep team, uh, three or four stars. Um, Davian Mitchell, Macy Oteague, love Matthew Meyer coming off the bench. He looks like another year or two. Uh, he could be just an excellent, excellent player, but a, a really good six-man for him right now. And then just a lot of um, of role players. Uh, they play team basketball, and just like uh, Gonzaga, you know, it's different guys stepping up at different times for them. Um, you can shut them down one way, and they can they can beat you another. So uh, Baylor's been exciting to watch all year uh, as well, and, and the last two games were no exception. I wish Villanova had had uh, Connor Gillespie. Um, I think that would have been – a much closer game had they been at full strength, but uh, as it was, you know, it was still a good challenge for Baylor and uh, disappointed to not see the sec get a team in the final four, but you know how I feel about Arkansas. Uh, right. Uh, I, that's it for the sec, right? I think they're all eliminated. Yeah. Alabama and Arkansas made it to, uh, well, I guess Arkansas made it the farthest that we'd ate. Yeah. Surprisingly, I'm telling you, Musselman is muscle men. Muscle man uh, is outstanding. I think that it would be silly for him to leave Arkansas so early. I know that 
Texas was expressing some interest in him, but I think that's fallen off the, the their radar, which we'll talk about the coaching carousel in the last segment. But yes, Eric Musselman, he's definitely got him in the right direction. But Baylor advances to the final four. Let's talk about Loyola College. I, If I have my facts right, I think all of us predicted Loyola to go to the final four. Were you a part of that group? Uh, I think we. I, I had him when we... I uh, did the last show. Um, of course, I didn't have them beat Illinois uh, originally. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, when you, when you looked at the four that were left, I thought they'd get past Oregon State, and I thought they would get past Houston. But uh, Oregon State, they were, they were maybe the Cinderella of the tournament, really. Absolutely. And Houston just uh, beat them. I, I think, though, if we're looking at a weak team in the Final Four, I think the weakest team is going to be Houston. Um, I think Baylor will absolutely mop the floor with them, uh, but I could be wrong. I mean, Houston, I don't think that getting to the Final Four is easy, uh, no matter what your road looked like during the bracket. So I think if you're in the Final Four, you're there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Houston's been a solid team, uh, but I would be inclined to agree with you. I think Baylor's a pretty heavy favorite in that one. I don't know what the final score, uh, how far that difference will be. Um, you know, I think Baylor might be content to get a 10 point lead and just kind of sit on it. Um, knowing that Houston doesn't really have that, that star that can, can lead them to maybe a 10 0 run or anything like that. So the, the final margin may not be that big, but I think it's going to be one of those games. That's not as close as the final score would, would kind of indicate, um, Houston, the only, team to ever make the final four but they haven't beat a single team uh with single digit seeds yet so we really I, we haven't seen houston tested necessarily um and i would be inclined to agree with you as far as as how that would maybe turn out i'm looking at houston's road they had houston and cleveland state uh and then it was rutgers and houston Syracuse, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, they took down Syracuse. That might have been their most challenging game of the whole tournament so far. Yeah, it could have been, but uh, we've talked about Syracuse a few times in the last couple episodes. Um, you know, they beat a good San Diego State team. They they knocked off West Virginia. So they, you know, Syracuse playing the playing the zone. Bayham has a system. It can give people problems at times. Uh, but they don't have the athletes. Uh, Carmelo Anthony's not—he's not walking in the door at Syracuse anytime soon. Um, they've got a lot of, of of legacy with Jim Beheim, obviously a great coach, um, but they're not what they once were. So if you're saying that that's the toughest test that Houston's faced, you know that that kind of speaks to the road that they've had. You, you sounded like Rick Bettino, 1998 at the Boston Celtics press conference when he's like, Gary Parrish isn't coming through that door, folks. Larry Bird's not coming <laughs> through that door, folks. That's what you sounded like just now. I just want you to know. But Well, Rick walked out that door pretty quick after that. Yeah. <laughs> Was Rick fired, or did he did he just resign from the Celtics? I was one of those like I'm gonna resign so you don't fire me type deals. I mean it was it was pretty bad. He tried to put together just like basically can the same guys that he had Kentucky at Kentucky pretty much in the in the NBA, and it was just a disaster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on our third segment, when we come back, we're going to dive deep into the final four teams left, and we're going to preview the matchups, Gonzaga versus UCLA and Baylor versus Houston. So we're going to talk about the final four in great detail after these words. Stick with us. (laughs) 
Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you, along with Zach Hahn joining me via Zoom. This is our Road to the Final Four episode covering the NCAA March Madness Tournament. We only have four teams remaining, Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, and Houston. Let's talk about Baylor versus Houston. Let me tell you how I feel like Baylor Baylor has an edge, Zach. The Bears, they have, I feel like, maybe one of the most potent backcourts behind Jared Butler, Maki Oteague, I believe his name is, and Davion Mitchell. They average a combined 46.4 points. That's going to be a lot to handle for Houston. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Baylor's, I mean, they're guard heavy. Um, but when you have three guards like that that you can run out there, uh, it's a heck of a team for for Scott Drew. Um, and like I said, I mean, they're just versatile players. Uh, they're not they're not locked into a particular style. Um, they can kind of take what the opponent gives them, and it's going to be really tough. I mean, Houston's got some good guards too. Uh, Grimes is, a, is an excellent player. Um, you know, so Houston didn't uh, didn't get the record that they that they have just by accident, but they're not. I wouldn't say that they're on Baylor's level. And Houston, I think their edge is their defense. I think that out of all the teams left, I think their team is the best defensively left. So I think they lead the nation in field goal percentage defense. So I think that if Baylor can just up their offense, they've got to do that because Houston is so good on their D. I think that's their that's their secret weapon. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a good point that you brought up there. Houston uh, holds their opponents to 37% this year. So I'm going to double down on what I said about it maybe being a fairly close game. Could be another kind of – if you don't if you like scoring, I don't know if I'd tune into that one. Yeah. It might be 55 to 49 or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they can, they can hold Baylor to under 60, but they, I don't know that they're going to be able to, to – um, to score themselves. So you are taking Baylor to the championship game? Yeah, I'd take Baylor by six in that one. Okay. I, I'm taking Baylor two, and just because you said six, I'm going to say, I'm going to prices right you and say seven. Oh, you would, man. You're going to get to meet Drew Carey, and I'm not. Let's talk about Gonzaga versus UCLA. I think that's going to be the best game of the tournament, and I say that, and it's probably going to be a blowout. Gonzaga will destroy him. But in all honesty, not really. I really don't think Gonzaga's going to destroy UCLA. Like I said before earlier in the show, I think that looking at UCLA pre-tournament, you'd think, oh my gosh, if they made it and played Gonzaga, Gonzaga would kill him. Now that you've seen UCLA play, and you've seen Johnny Juzang on fire, if he comes out hot like that against Gonzaga, and they come out and Cronin is coaching the daylights out of the game like he has been this whole tournament, I think UCLA, they will put up a great fight. Possibly. I was going to ask you earlier, I didn't get a chance, about just like the psychology of playing Gonzaga. To me, it looks like some of these teams, they come out, Gonzaga opens up on them, they get, you know, eight point or an 8-0 run or something like that, and the other team's just like, these guys are too good. Like they're, they're as good as advertised. We're done. I kind of wonder if 
with UCLA, I mean, it's almost like they're playing with house money, right? Would you would you agree with that? I mean, what do they have to lose? They have nothing to lose. And if anything, I think that, and I hope Cronin don't have this mindset. I hope he don't. I hope he doesn't think that, well, I've made it to the Final Four. That's all I need to do. I, I And the way they were celebrating last night or two nights ago, um, I think that they were celebrating like they had won the championship. So when you see teams celebrating that hard, make it to the Final Four, I get it. But you haven't won it yet. You've only made it to the to the Final Four, which essentially is a big deal, but it's still not taking home the trophy and, and hanging a banner, a championship banner. So I don't think that they have anything to lose. I hope that they don't look at it like that. I hope they look at it like we're still playing in the first round of the tournament. We've got everything to prove. I hope they don't have that mindset. We have nothing left to prove. But if they go in there with a mindset like, we don't care about this Final Four. That's not good enough for us. We want to play in the championship game. Because we've talked about it before. Playing in a championship game is a lot more exciting than playing in a Final Four. So if they can just have that mindset to just get and push on, I think that uh, that's even more of an edge that they could have over Gonzaga. Yeah, and I think that's – you know, when you look at the teams, clearly Gonzaga is going to be the stronger team on paper just about every every regard. So in so much that UCLA has a chance, I think it's a psychological uh, – you know, are like you said, are they going to look at it as, ah, we're good, you know, beating Michigan was enough for us or whatever. Like, you know, we're going to be the team that ends uh, Gonzaga's streak. So in that one, I would look, you know, at some point Gonzaga is going to get a 6-0 run. Or something like that. And how does UCLA step up? Do they do they stop it there? Do they dig in? Um, do they do they turn it the other way, or does that six zero run turn into a twelve zero run, and then it's a blowout? Um, so could be could be uh, pretty clear what's going to happen, like in the first you know first half of the first half in that one. Well, the edge that Gonzaga has is their offense. They have the most efficient off the most efficient offense in the country, averaging a nation best 92 points and 55% shooting. Wow. So, I mean, they're they're not undefeated for no reason. And then UCLA, uh, you know, they they have that just grit. They have that toughness and you hear the uh, the other professional sports panels like uh, Jay Billis and all those B class celebrities talk about because we're the we're the A class. Uh, they do have a lot of grit and they have a lot of toughness, and I think that if they just can keep that, I think that that's their edge over uh, Gonzaga. Uh, some key players for Gonzaga: there's Jalen Snugs. Uh, while Timmy has been the Zags' best player in the tournament and Kispert is the team's first-team All-American, uh, Jalen Snug is that crafty freshman point guard uh, that everybody is loving to watch in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he's got a well-rounded game. Could be potentially the number one overall pick this year. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a fun guy to watch. Uh, but it's what I really like about uh, Jalen Suggs is even though he's the star uh, freshman, he's being talked about as a top pick. He seems to fit within the team concept for Gonzaga so well. He doesn't um, – if he's not hitting, he's going to pass the ball. Uh, he's always going to play defense. So he just seems to have a good head on his shoulders too from from watching him watching him play and seeing him talk a little bit. He seems like a, like a good kid. And then I think the key player for Gonzaga 
or I'm sorry, for UCLA, as you could probably guess it. Yeah. Johnny. Oh, absolutely. It's Juzang. Like I said, he scored more than the rest of the team combined uh, in their game against Michigan. It's going to be tough to repeat that, um, especially because if they didn't know it before, now Gonzaga's got to go all in and, and make somebody else beat you. Um, and I, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Uh, no ill will for somebody that, that left here. Um, no remorse, I guess, as a Kentucky fan, just just rooting for him to, to have a good game and, uh, you know, feel like he, he gave it his all at the, at the very at the minimum. Let's talk about that briefly for just a second. Juzang, he he did play at the University of Kentucky, and he transferred. And I think that Cal gets a lot more heat than he, I. Let me defend Cal. I think that Juzang left. Does people not remember that it happened during the pandemic? He said he got homesick. He's from Los Angeles. He wanted to go home. During the pandemic, it was very emotional. You couldn't see your mommy, your daddy, your bubby, your sissy. There was a lot of people you couldn't see, and he missed them. He was clear across the country. Now, of course, boo-hoo, you know, the go make your money. But yeah. I, can, I can – let's not forget that he was homesick. And uh, there's really nothing that – Cal could do about that. So I think that during the pandemic, because of the light of the situation, because of the coronavirus and the pandemic, I think that's why he left. I don't think it was really anything to do with Calipari, or am I just uh, taking up for him too much? Uh, yes and no. I mean, that's that's a, that's a good take. I, it's hard to, hard to pick it apart. Um, I think that there's too many transfers. Uh, it's out of control. Uh, obviously, that's the new the transfer portal, especially with this season. You get the automatic uh, eligibility and stuff like that. But when you go when you go down to an individual level, you uh, you can't blame the kids. I mean, they're just exercising their rights. And in, in Juzang's case, it made a lot of sense why he was doing what he was doing. Um, and it, the the fact that we've had so many transfers, it's not necessarily unique to us either. Uh, if you look, I think Florida's got five players in the transfer portal now. Um, Syracuse has a couple. I mean, there there are people leaving. Look, Texas Tech, who had a good season, they had two or three guys transferred during the season. Um, so that's just the way it is now. Do I wish that maybe Cal got a, a few guys who, from the get go, were more likely to stay? Uh, for a few seasons, yeah, I think that's something that we could we could work on moving forward. But what's happened, uh, and when when you look at what this individual person chose to do, that's I mean it's water under the bridge, and just wish him the best. It's not especially in in Johnny Juzang's case, it's not like he threw the program the middle finger or anything on the way out. He seems like a pretty classy guy, and he had his had good reasons for it. Right. Well, uh, well, well put. So. Who you taking to the championship game, Gonzaga or UCLA? Oh, Gonzaga. Okay, I, I'm going to take Gonzaga too. I think that they haven't been rattled much this entire tournament. Um, UCLA hopefully will give them a game, but based off their performance in the last uh, four or five games they played in this tournament, they've not been rattled. I think they'll get by UCLA, and we're going to see a Gonzaga-Baylor matchup and that one will be for the books. That one could seriously go either way because I'm seeing two teams who really, really want it. Baylor's not won a national championship what, since the 50s. Uh, Gonzaga, I don't know if they've ever won, but I know Marty's never won it. 
Uh, Baylor's coaches never won it. Those are two guys. Don't you love it? Two coaches that have never won the national championship fighting for a title. They're going to stop at nothing to get it. Yeah, absolutely. And if it does turn out to be those two, um, it's two programs that have really been on the rise over the last maybe 20 years in Gonzaga's case, uh, probably 10 in Baylor's case. Uh, And it's a chance for those coaches to get their first ring. And then also for um, the, the program, like I I feel like whoever does come out on top of this will really be, you'll, you'll look at that program as being on the elite level um, just because of the championship and then all the success they've had leading up to it. Um, And I think it's, uh, it's an exciting game. It's like, you know, COVID has been something that we've talked about on and off. It's definitely a thread weaving through the the storyline of this tournament and Gonzaga and Baylor were supposed to play in the regular season this year and it was canceled because of COVID. So it's almost like a redemption game. That's the matchup that I'm rooting for. And I think it'll be uh, hopefully a very exciting, close, uh, emotionally contested, just, just a great basketball game. What, do you think it'll be a good matchup? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, of course, that game will be played on a Monday night, April the 5th. You can catch the Final Four uh, this weekend, April the 3rd. And then on April 5th, you can catch the National Championship game. But speaking of all the great coaches, my favorite segment to do is coming up next. We're going to talk about the coaching carousel because it is the time of year for coaches to get hired and coaches to get fired. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Cuff. Adam Banks here with you. Last segment of the hour. Zach Hahn is also joining me via Zoom. We're talking about the road to the Final Four here in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. The coaching carousel is in full effect, and there's been some changes since the last time we talked about the coaching carousel. Shaka Smart was fired from the Texas Longhorns, the overrated Shaka Smart, who landed another job at Marquette. What do you think about uh, Shaka Smart going to Marquette? Do you think that was a great hire for Marquette? And what do you think of Shaka Smart, Zach? Well, the way I read it wasn't like he was probably going to be fired, but he took the Marquette job before they could do it. So it's kind of what we talked about earlier where uh, I'm not getting fired. I I quit, like uh, that kind of thing. But I don't know. I mean, Shaka brought in a lot of talent to Texas over the years. They just never really delivered on it. Um, so I think he's kind of in the, uh, the John Calipari school of great recruiters, put together a great roster, and then just basketball X's and O's wise, maybe just doesn't doesn't get it to deliver. Uh, I watched quite a bit of Texas this year throughout the season, too. They, they also seem to have a lot of uh, – a lot of chemistry problems. Uh, the guys fighting each other on the sidelines. Um, so he may not be the best at managing those personalities either. So it'll be interesting to see what he does at Marquette. Um, that's a historically a, a really solid program. Uh, they've been down the last couple of years, but not too bad, really. Um, so I, I would think that he's got the, you know, probably the investment and the facilities and the things that you need to, to be successful. It's not like he's got to build it from the ground up, but do you see him? Is he ever going to make a, do you see a final four there for him? No, possible? no. Shaka had one good run in March Madness. And it's, it's amazing what the post tournament can do or the postseason can do for a coach. It can make or it could break your entire career. I mean, look at Shaka. He had a good season this year. 
but they fired him because of what he did in the postseason. Shaka had a terrible season when he went to the Final Four. He was a first four team, if you remember, and he made it to the Final Four. And because of that run, people were his name was coming up with every big job available. So I think that I think that if if people are going to base your performance off the March Madness performance, then I think that you don't need to be just a one and done. You don't need to be a one hit wonder. You need to make the elite, you need to have two runs. You need to have two Elite Eight runs, at least, before you can start being tossed around uh, with every big job that comes open. Uh, Texas Longhorns might now be the most premier job available for a coach to take. Uh, I would take that in a heartbeat. It's in Austin, Texas. It's a fun city to live in. Who wouldn't want to live in Austin, Texas? It would be a blast to be the head coach. Of, the traffic's really bad. The traffic's probably bad, but when you're the head coach of tax, when you're the head coach of Texas, they they probably you just take a helicopter. Yeah, they do. And you know what the song says? God bless Texas with His own hands. So Texas is it's everything's. Bigger and better in Texas is what they say. So it's a great it's a great uh, job. Look at their facilities. Zach, did you know that the Texas Longhorns, they have their own television network? Yeah, I didn't know that. The Longhorn Network. It's it's funny though, they they, they probably are the richest athletic <laughs> department in college sports. But the football team has been underwhelming, the basketball team like they, they never meet the expectations. So I'm going to read to you who Texas is looking at, okay, for their next man, uh, because they're confident. Texas is confident that whoever they're going to go after is going to say yes to them because of what you said. They're rich. They can offer money. Now, the number one guy that they're going for is Chris Beard. I think that Chris Beard would be an excellent that'd be an excellent place for him. He is a Texas alum, went to school there, and I think that there's just something about coaching your alma mater, especially if it's an elite school like that. Uh, and plus, Beard, his record speaks for itself. He's an up-and-coming great coach. Still hasn't had a title. Texas could be a great place for him to do. Uh, the only thing that may stop him is the whole Texas Tech, Texas in-state thing. It might look bad. It might be a little diminish or a little stain on his reputation or his morals, or they, people might be looking at him more like a Rick Bettino after that. But I don't think he should look at it like that. I think if Texas offers him, I think he should go. It's a better school. It's a better. It's a better team to coach than Texas Tech. What do you think? Uh, especially if that's his alma mater, that's probably his dream job. You better take it now um, while it's available. So um, I think I saw the odds on this earlier. I want to say he's one to one to get the job. So it's um, I think they're probably just hammering out the details right now. I, I get why Texas would do that. Chris Beard's had a, a good run at Texas Tech. He turned them from in a place where a lot of people had failed into a solid team kind of year. Well, I want to say year in, year out because he hasn't been there that long. So I would just. I don't know. I mean, like it kind of, to me, feels a little bit maybe like the Billy G hire. Um, and, you know, I talked <laughs> about Shaka Smart being one type of coach. Maybe Chris Beard's the other. Like uh, he recruits okay, but he's not getting the who, – who knows what he'll do at Texas. But uh, definitely like more of an X's and O's, uh, like a, uh, an on-court genius. But like I said, I, I mentioned Texas Tech earlier. They had a couple transfers during the season this year. Um, if I was Texas, I would really don't just hire him because he's the hot thing right now and because he's a Texas alum. 
interview the guy, you know, look for stories on what he's like with his players. Cause he may not be like, he, you may be setting yourself up. I don't know if it's going to be successful or not. Uh, I think it's almost too perfect for, to, you know, there's some question marks that I would have about it. Well, according to just what all I've been reading, he's the head man. Have you been seeing the same thing that he's the head guy, the number one guy that they're trying to get? Yeah, I saw uh, those odds I was talking about earlier. I was reading the story. Uh, yeah, it's Chris Beard uh, and then a uh, New Jersey Nets assistant named Royal Ivy that was a big player there. Yes, yeah, the backup plan uh, uh, is the second yeah. Royal Ivy um, assistant Nets. Did you see who number three was? Yeah, I, I did. I did see who number three was, and we're going to talk about him in just a second. But Royal Ivy, who? Yeah, I, I, I mean, the Nets are good this year, but it ain't because of Royal Ivy. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like it's a few superstars that they have. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, it's. It, it, if I was them, it, it's a tough spot. You know. I mean, Chaka Smart after the loss to Abilene, you kind of got to make a move. But I'm not really sold on any of those guys. Uh, I, I don't know that it's going to be a whole lot better for Texas. And then the third guy, of course, people are whispering that it is Kentucky basketball coach John Calipari. When is it going to stop that Calipari is leaving Kentucky for another college program? If Cal's going to leave for another job, it's going to be an NBA job. It's not going to be in another at another school. Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, is the Roman Empire of college basketball. Why would you leave it? Do, what are the chances of Calipari going to Texas? This particular opening, I would say zero. Um, but I think what the reason that his name is on the list, I'm going to disagree with you when when you said, "Oh, Cal will never leave for another uh, another college program." If he has another bad season or two and the pressure really gets turned up on him here, that might be how he does leave. Uh, I, I think to take another job, but I, we're not at that point yet. Not with this job. And even if Chris Beard and Royal Ivy follows through, I'm telling you the real number three is not John Calipari. You're not taking that job. Exactly. I mean, I can get behind what you're saying. Now, in order for Calipari to leave, he'll he'll never be fired. He'll never be fired. Now, that's just my opinion. Kentucky, Mitch Barnhart will never fire him. But Calipari won't stay at a place where he's not winning at the level he is now. And Yeah, I mean, did you think Tubby, did you ever think a, a, a coach like Tubby would leave? You know, if you just say, would you take, would you go from Kentucky to Minnesota? No. Right. But that's, that was the out. So I could see it being the same for Cal, uh, just a situation where it's just better for him to move on for everybody else. But not not to Texas, not this year. Where would be a good fit for Cal in his later years? Uh, let's just say he coaches at Kentucky another four or five seasons. Uh, where would be a good fit for Cal just to do his last coaching job at? I'd have to see. He didn't play D1 college ball, so it's not like he's got a connection to a smaller school anywhere. Um, I don't think it would be anywhere that they would – play Kentucky uh, in the regular, like not an SEC school or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, could be somewhere, I, I don't know, maybe like in Arizona or something like that. If, uh, if they don't come back uh, off probation with any, you know, if they, if they decide to go another direction from uh, where they're at now, it could be anywhere really. I mean, 
probably somewhere that you wouldn't expect right now, but I don't think he would want to to come back to refereeing and get booed either. Um, I agree with you. All right, and finally, uh, I'm not going to go and list all of these random coaches like I did on the last episode. So we got one more coaching hire to talk about. Indiana finally found them a coach, Mike Woodson. And I think that Indiana, they couldn't afford any heirs with this coaching hire. And I think that they went and... Like Britney Spears said, "Oops, I did it again." They made another. <laughs> they made another bad coaching hire, I think, because here's a guy who has no experience coaching Division One basketball. It's all NBA. That's different types of games. Yeah, it is absolutely. But uh, you know, I, I'll play devil's advocate here. I don't think it's a deep down. I don't. I'm not really convinced that it's a, a, much of an upgrade for them, or that it's gonna it's gonna save their program. But, um, you know, one positive to having an NBA coach is that may be attractive to the top recruits that, that want that are that are focused on getting to the NBA because you do have somebody that knows uh, what an NBA, what the NBA culture is, what it's like, what they're looking for, the skills that you need to develop. Um, so I think it's a sales pitch in the recruiting department, but I would agree with you. It's probably going to be pretty difficult for him to come in and, and adjust to um college basketball at such a high level. I mean, you're going to be in the big 10 immediately. Like you're going to be playing these Michigans, these Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, like there's not, there's really not any off nights in the, in the big 10. So if the learning curve of trying to learn college basketball and how to coach it is steep, it couldn't get any steeper than it is in the big 10. So I think I, I don't like Indiana, but I want them to be good because I think that's good for college basketball. It's interesting. It's always like, are we going to play Indiana? Uh, the committee loves to match us up. Uh, Kentucky Indiana matchup in March is like their dream, um, but I don't know. I I'm, I kind of agree with you and everybody else. I I, I don't see him I, I, sub 500 next year probably. And if he's not successful, Indiana they may be done. They may be out of the conversation of of being a a top a football school now. Yeah, they might be out of the conversation of being a basketball school, being a top premier school to go and coach or to go and play at. Um, they've not really done anything since Bobby Knight, and that's been years and decades ago. So we'll see. But ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, it is now time to come to an end and close out this week's show here in the March Madness series, the Road to the Final Four episode. Uh, The Final Four is this weekend on Saturday, April the 3rd, Gonzaga, UCLA, Baylor, and Houston. And then the championship game will be on Monday, April the 5th. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Cuff. This is the March Madness series. Uh, We are broadcasting from the WLXU Studios 93.9. We will be in studio next week doing our post-game or our post-game episode where we talk about the actual championship game, what happened during the Final Four, and we'll discuss the new champion, and hopefully the entire crew will be back. But, Zach, I want to thank you for taking one for the team and not leaving me hanging uh, solo this episode. Oh, no problem. Hopefully we get the panel back. Thanks for having me, and thanks to everybody that uh, was listening today. We appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Zach Hahn. I'm Adam Banks. This is Off the Cuff. We'll see you next Thursday from 8 to 9 on the March Madness series. We'll catch you down the road. Fresh and forget, used to keep it cool.